You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. And for those of you who are new to all of this, if you haven't already, go to our website, myfaithroots.com, and there's a place on the website where you can subscribe to our daily podcast outline. And I send you an email, and it comes right to your email account, and uh, it'll bless you. It's a print version of what we're teaching right here, so it may help you to remember all this. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you hadn't already done it, and hit that like button. Ring the bell down there and get the the, uh, notifications when a new one comes out, and that way you won't miss one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You know, you can't imagine God living in turmoil. He doesn't. He's in total peace. And and that's what people feel. You know, everybody who comes back from the dead, every, people have near-death experiences, the, the, the thing that they all say overwhelmingly is they had an amazing sense of peace. Well, why wouldn't they? Because God is the God of peace. It's not just uh, one of his characteristics. It's a chief characteristic. He is called the God of peace. And uh, this is what he wants for our homes. You know, it's unfortunate that a lot of Christian homes are not full of peace. We had people tell us this all the time who came to our homes and visited, especially when our kids were young. They said the one thing we see about this home is it's full of peace. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't have our challenges because we did, but we fixed what threatened the peace and got right back to peace. Somebody who watched me discipline one of my children said it amazed me that you disciplined your son but yet you brought him right back in to the supper table and treated him as if nothing ever happened. Why wouldn't we? We dealt with the issue. It's over. We got rid of it. It's done. And this is the way God deals with us. He doesn't hold things against us forever. So now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The new birth experience, your spirit, my spirit, being born again, that is God's crowning work of grace. In other words, it is the single greatest thing that God ever did for anybody. It's greater than the healing of a blind man, greater than the healing of a paralytic, greater than the healing of a leper. It's greater than any other miraculous work that God does. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 have to say. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen to it from another translation, 26 translations. It was nothing you could or did achieve. It was God's grace which saved you. It is not your own doing. The gift is God's. It hasn't been earned so that no one can boast of this. Wow. Greatest work that God will ever do in your life. I mean, the thing of it is, if God healed you, and but you never received Christ and you went ahead and died later and went to hell... 
so what about the healing? You had maybe a few more years to live on this earth, but but you missed the greatest work of God at all, uh, of all. And and you know that's why the new birth is is worth more than anything else. It, it is the greatest work God can do. And when we see people born again, especially children, people minimize the importance of a child receiving Christ. I've dealt with that for 40 years. I marvel how many adults discount kids coming to Christ. You know why they do? Because kids aren't that messed up. When an adult comes to Christ, there's a big reversal because the adult is so far out of bounds. But when a kid receives Christ, he hasn't strayed that far. And so there's not this amazing testimony that you see sometimes with grown-ups. And so we very often often discount what happens when a kid receives Christ. And it's really a shame. It really is. And so the kid thinks that he didn't receive anything because mom and dad didn't act like he received anything. I, I've told people after children's church, hey, I said, your son was born again tonight. Yeah, 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 we'll see. I, how could you act like that? If you call yourself a follower of Christ, how could you act like that? You go home and you treat it like it's no big deal with your kid. And then later on, your kid grows up and says, well, I thought I received Christ when I was eight or nine, but I guess I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing. Why did a kid have that kind of thinking? It is because his parents treated it like it was nothing. But he didn't understand it all. Do you understand it all? I didn't understand it all. I was 17 when I accepted Christ, and I'm still learning today about all the things that God gave to me. And so I'm telling you that it takes all eternity to figure out this great salvation that we have. You don't know it all uh, before you receive it. As with all of God's projects, the greatest miracles come at the beginning. And that's what God does with us. At the very beginning of our relationship with God, we get the greatest miracle we're ever going to get. We get the new birth. We are born again. Can't get a bigger miracle than that. God's going to do a lot of amazing things in our lives. But the biggest thing that He ever does is He gives us His Spirit and we are recreated in Christ Jesus. We are born again. It's what God did with Moses and the children of Israel. The greatest work that God did for Israel was at the beginning. He delivered them from the bondage of Pharaoh at the beginning. He led them across the Red Sea. He dealt with Pharaoh at the Red Sea. Now as they got into the land of Canaan, they saw some other miracles, but they weren't as great as those miracles that they had at the very beginning. That's why when you see people talking about God's faith to Israel, what they always go back to? They go back to the beginning. And they talk about how God did all the miracles at the Red Sea and delivered them from Pharaoh's bondage and so forth. Uh, you see uh, the same thing in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did amazing miracles, amazing miracles in the beginning. The church was started with a boom. I mean, it was an amazing thing. You go <coughs> five, six, seven hundred years later, and there are works being done. But it's not like it was at the beginning. But I will say this. One of the things that the Holy Spirit says is at the end of the church age, there's going to be an amazing explosion of a miracle ministry. All of these miracles created a platform where God's people could walk out God's plan. Now think about this. If God does not deliver the children of Israel from Pharaoh but he tries to take them into the law, the Ten Commandments, all of the feast days, festivals, the keeping of the law. They can't do that. They can't serve Pharaoh and serve God. They have to be delivered completely from Pharaoh. Pharaoh was their master. He controlled them. And so he had to be dealt with, and so God had to do the most amazing work at the very beginning. The Pharaoh spirit never wants to let go. Never. 
God dealt with our Pharaoh at the cross. Listen to me. When I first became a believer, I had all kinds of hell come against me, all kinds of doubt. What was it? It was the Pharaoh spirit trying to pull me back in. Now, once I got established in the faith, there was never any doubt about whether or not I was going to continue in my walk with Christ. Nobody ever says to me, ah, you'll cool off one of these days. I've been saved for 51 years. But I heard people say it over and again to me when I first became a follower of Christ. And maybe you just became a follower of Christ. And somebody has said to you, you'll cool off. This won't last forever. You'll be back. You'll go back to the same thing you did before. We'll see how long this happens. That's what they said to me. It's that Pharaoh spirit not wanting to let go of you. But you know what? I made a decision. I'm going on. Wild horses can't stop me. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to learn about him. I'm going to keep on going. And I did. I'm so glad I did. Now, we have been given a new platform. Uh, we've been set free, but we've been given a platform. So listen to this. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Now, here's the next verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The new birth was a platform for us to begin to do some good things. Now, now, now listen to me carefully. A lot of people have the idea that they have to do the good things first. You may know people. Maybe you're like this right now as you're watching this. You're contemplating accepting Christ, but you think, I have to do some good things first. I used to think that way. I thought, I've got to clean my life up. I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Before I go to church and worship Jesus and all that, I've got to clean my life up. Do you know you cannot clean your life up? There's nothing you can do that will ever make you worthy of God's grace. You cannot possibly clean your life up. It's a waste of time. You can't do it. You give your life to Christ. Let Him put His Spirit in you. Now you can start doing some great things, good things, wonderful things, but you're not doing them in order to be saved. You are doing those things because you are saved. So let me read it again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship. In other words, I didn't do this. He did this in me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God determined before the foundation of the world that He would put a new spirit in us, a spirit that would want to serve Him, a spirit that would want to obey Him, a spirit that would want to follow Him. Let me read it from another translations, uh, another translation, Ephesians 2.10, 26 translations. For He has made us what we are because He's created us through our union with Christ for doing good deeds which God prepared beforehand to be the employment of our life. I'm employed right now doing good deeds, but I'm not doing it to earn anything. I'm doing it because I have been given something. Now, I didn't know how God worked in the early days. It was easy for me to be confused. And I heard people at church preaching about sharing faith and so forth. And so there was a religious spirit that came against me when I first became a believer in Christ. I felt like I had to talk to everybody I saw about the Lord. 
So w- when I had to run an errand across town, get in my car to go get a haircut or do this, that, and the other, I had to pick up Hitchhiker. I had to talk to them about the Lord before I could get my haircut. I, I had to do that. I felt like I was letting Jesus down. That person might be killed in an accident this afternoon. I, I got to do that. I, I remember one day sitting in my school cafeteria, and that spirit came to me and said, if you love Jesus, you will stand up on this lunchroom counter right now and start screaming at all these kids, and you got to tell them they're going to go to hell if they don't get saved. You know, I didn't do it. I, 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 now I picked up the hitchhiker, but I didn't jump up and scream at the top of my lungs. That was pretty crazy. I did not do that, and it would not have done anything had I done it. It would have made me look like a kook. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to do that, and I went away from school that day thinking, I let Jesus down. I was ashamed of Jesus. And boy, the devil beat me up. And you you know why? He twisted a scripture. I had just found it. I had found it in the book of of Romans chapter 10. And it says, For whosoever believes in him shall not be ashamed. And I thought, I was ashamed of Jesus today. I did not get up and yell and scream and tell everybody they're going to hell. And and I, I must not have really gotten saved. I only think I'm saved. And boy, the devil will do everything he can to confuse you. Man, he will. And see, I was so young, and I didn't have any parents to go to. My mother was on drugs at the time. I, my dad told me I couldn't go to church anymore, so I'd moved in with my mom. I didn't have anybody to go to for counsel. There was no adult in my world for me to talk to. Yes, there was the pastor at church, but I only saw him a couple of times a week, and I didn't get time personally with him like I probably could have used, but but I didn't get that. And and so I, I made use of my time when I was there asking all the questions I could ask of people who were older than me, and they were great to help. But the point that I want to make is this, is there was a religious spirit that robbed me of the joy of my salvation. And most of the time, I lived in condemnation because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't on fire enough. And, I, you know, I, 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 one of our youth pastors years ago was preaching to the kids and saying, you need to win your own high school to Jesus. That was in our youth group in the church I pastored. And I, I called him in my office the next day, and, and, and I said, listen, I want to talk to you. I said, you were preaching last night. I mean, it was a good sermon that you preached, but you, you told the kids that they, if they weren't really on fire for God, that they could turn their whole high school around. And went all those teenagers to Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Did you do that? Did you do that in high school? He said, no, sir. I wouldn't even live for God in high school. So you're telling kids to do something that you yourself have not done. Is that right? He said, yes, sir. I said, you know, I led 30 people to Christ from February the 19th when I accepted Christ to May the 28th. I led about 30 people to Christ when I first received Jesus in those days. A lot of football players on my football team and loads of other young people. But I didn't win the whole high school. I had 2,600 kids in high school. I didn't turn my whole high school around. I said, don't you think that's a little tall order to put on a teenager? You know, I'm the father of three teenagers right now. And I I said, I I would be happy if my kids came out of high school and loved God and and could quote 10 or 12 scriptures and prayed all the, uh, prayed, you know, regularly. That's what I would be happy with. But they don't have to win the whole high school to Jesus. Now, if they do, praise God. But most teenagers are not going to do that. That's a very unrealistic expectation. What you're doing, you're putting a religious guilt on kids, and I wouldn't do that. And see, uh, listen to me. A lot of people live that way. Listen to what fixed me. I lived under that religious guilt for a long time, and this is what cured me of it. Philippians 2.13, I found this verse. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me read it from another translation. Weymouth said this, For it is God himself whose power creates within you both the desire and the power to execute his gracious will. Wow! I had no desire to stand up on the lunchroom table. That was not in my wheelhouse. I'm sure there's some young men who at the age of 17 have an amazing personality and an amazing relationship with God and have a confidence they could do something that dramatic and be effective, but it wasn't me. It was the devil trying to beat me up. Now, one-on-one, talking to a peer, someone my age, no trouble at all, sharing my faith, talking to them about Christ. But to stand up in front of a whole crowd... See, that's where the devil was beating me up. But when I found out that it is God who in His kindness is at work within you, enabling you both to will and to work, that's what God does. Wow. So He put His Spirit in me so I would want to follow Him. And the things that I want to do, there was God's desires in me. What I did to go out and reach kids with my TV show, Gospel Bill, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do the things that God led me to do. I wanted to be the pastor of a church. That's how God leads. Well, that's all the time I have for today. But you know, I'm going to pick up on this tomorrow, so don't you dare miss it. Be sure to like this podcast now. Remember that. You'll help me out by doing that. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.